Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Drive with Peter Vlahos. And it's Kyrgios who comes out on top. 6-3, 6-4. In the battle seven, of the special case, he is through in straight sets. Nick, tremendous effort tonight. What made the difference for you? Uh, I mean, I just thought I played a really good first couple of sets, got on top of the match early. You know, I mean, when we both saw the draw, it was a nightmare, honestly. You know, we never want to play each other. And, you know, he, he probably beats 80% of the draw, you know, tonight. You know, he's been playing really good. Um, and, you know, I've just got so much respect for him. So I can't wait to get out there and play doubles with him on the right side of the net in a couple of days. It's been eight years since you played your doubles partner. Did you have a good read on his serve? And early when you broke his serve, was that like when you were telling him sometimes in doubles, go wide to the forehand, you seem to be on it? Uh, we just know each other's games like the back of our hand. Um, we've, we've played together since we're about nine years old. So um, he knows my game well. Uh, I, know game, I know his game extremely well. But I just played the bigger points well early on. Um, but, you know, we're going to play each other hopefully never again. Um, we'll just close that. Um, but I'm just really happy to move forward. I got to ask you, were you watching the Serena Williams match in the locker room to get ready? An amazing show she put on tonight. Um, yeah, well, you know, it's, I can't imagine how she's feeling. And, you know, I was actually watching the match with my girlfriend in the lounge. You know, she was really excited. But, you know, just the buzz that she brought, you know, obviously broken history with the amount of people buying tickets and, and viewing, which is, which is incredible. You know, that's my goal, to grow the sport as much as I can. So hopefully Serena can keep going and, and I can keep going as well. All right, you come into this tournament playing some great tennis. Next up is the Frenchman, Bonzi. What are your expectations in that match? Uh, very solid player, having a great season. Um, and he beat a, a, one of his fellow countrymen in the first round as well. So I'm not even going to think about that. I want to get home, um, have some food, and just chill out. <laughs> Kick your feet up, buddy. Moving on to the second round, Nick Kyrgios. Yeah, I just want to go home, stay with my girlfriend, have some food, and just chill out. Uh, how cool. Anyway, a nice little touch. Uh, of course, paying his respect and uh, to Thanasi Kokonakis, one of his best mates. Uh, and it's it was a bit of a pity, actually, they got drawn in the first round. Could have been good to see how far Cocky could have gone, maybe against the other opposition early in the tournament. Kyrgios, too strong, 6-3, 6-4. 7-6. A couple of upsets as well. Stefanos Tsitsipas, the number four seed, was bundled out by a qualifier in Daniel Elhali Galan. Uh, would you believe he bageled uh, Stefanos Tsitsipas in the first set? At one stage, it was 6-love, 5-love before Tsitsipas actually won a game. And, of course, uh, in the end, he was beaten 6-love, six 6-1. Six he took the third set, the Greek, 3-6, but then... It was the 94th-ranked Galan who won 7-5 
in the fourth. A couple of other seeded players out. Uh, Simona Halep was ousted and Daria Katsikina also. The Russian was ousted. A couple of the big names on the women's side of the draw. We'll take a little break after the, the drive break. show with Peter Vlas. Toolmark, your complete tool centre. Proudly WA owned and operated for over 40 years. Yes, a very good afternoon, everyone. Uh, a bit of sad news this morning. Uh, Bill Horn, who is known as the trainer of the four-time WA Pacing Cup and dual miracle mile winner Village Kid, passed away this morning after a battle with dementia. And growing up here in Perth, Western Australia, I tell you what, Village Kid was a huge attraction. People used to flock down to Gloucester Park to see Village Kid. And Bill Horn was so proud of Village Kid, of course, always made himself available to the media. And it was just a humble man, was Billy Horn, who grew up just down the road from Gloucester Park in Maylands. And, of course, uh, was the butcher, Bill Horn the butcher. And uh, he had an affinity, actually, with my father, who was also a butcher as well. They used to meet at the metro markets in the city. So it's sad that Bill has passed on. Uh, and a man that uh, is going to give us a bit of an insight to uh, the legacy that Bill leaves when it comes to harness racing here in Western Australia is the CEO, the hardworking and very uh, powerful CEO, does a great job down there at Gloucester Park in Mick Radley. Mick, thanks for your time. Yeah, hello, Pete. Good to talk to you. Gee, uh, it brings back a lot of memories, Bill Horn and, and of course, Village Kid uh, in some of the halcyon days of harness racing here in Western Australia. Yeah, they were synonymous with each other, and uh, you can throw in the great uh, Chris Lewis, who was his driver, and they formed a formidable uh, partnership. The the three, the three of them, Village Kid, Chris, and and Bill, and they really took Australia by storm. I don't think we've seen a more dominant horse than what we saw of Village Kid in around 1986-87 when he won the Inter Dominion, a couple of Miracle Miles, the AG Hunter Cup, and was of course dominating here in in uh, WA and. Um, yeah, they they really were stars on the on the national stage, but you know they did so much for for harness racing over here in, in WA. As you said, there's some, been some great champions, and around that era as well. But um, he's right up there with the top of them. And I think I think his status in the industry is um, is when he was inducted in the second round um, of the Hall of Fame here in 2010 in WA, and the first two went in were Mount Eden and Bodine. Mm. Um, and he was number three to, to go in as far as horses go. And when you talk about Pure Steel and San Simeon and Pro Chevalier and all those horses that were around the same time, and he was he went in above them, uh, just goes to show you know where he stood as far as a harness horse village kid. But um, you know, Bill was such a part of the story. He was you know I don't think we'd a village kid without Bill Horn and. Um, you know, as you said, kids flocked to him. Uh, he was always ready to promote harness racing, and uh, I don't think we'll see anything like it again. Yeah, no, well summed up, Mick. Uh, of course, he grew, as I mentioned, down the road in Maylands. He knows a couple of uh, my family members, uh, certainly my uh, mother-in-law. She knows the horns. In fact, I rang her when I heard the news that Bill had passed on, and would you believe my mother-in-law, Yvonne Farnham, was going to meet up with Bill's sister tomorrow. So, uh uh, those arrangements may have changed a fraction. But speaking about family, he was born into a harness racing family, wasn't he? His gra- I think his grandfather, his father were all involved. Yeah, his, his grandfather. I think his, 
his grandfather's name was Calf, so there's no doubt he was going to be a butcher. uh, But yeah, they were in the early days of harness racing over here, I think racing in the Wacker, and um, yeah, he was born in, but his love, I think, came through of of just turning up to Gloucester Park and having a bit of a punt and and got reignited with the sport, and um, the rest, they say, is history. But yeah, look, he he was synonymous with um, Village Kid, but he also had... You know, Black Irish, who was a, a superstar as well just before that. And, um, you know, he, he he always had a good horse, Bill Horn. And, um, you know, and, and you mentioned the butcher shop in Fremantle, which was so famous. And after Village Kid had won a, a you know, had won a group one, they were champagne on in the in the shop for all the, the customers and locals who had come down and, and see him. And, you know, he did the last ever race was the um, the time trial here across mm. the park where um, he broke a world record at 12. So his longevity in the sport was was you know almost unsurpassed, and at twelve year old breaking a world record with a, uh, I think Fred Kersley was on the gallop and pacemaker outside Chris and Grim Village Kid, and um, yeah, it was and they raised money so much money for for Make a Wish Foundation on that night and and throughout his career, it wasn't just about horse racing for Bill, it was you know everything associated with it, and um, that's why I think you know he was so beloved and. He was, uh, you know, he's awarded our two highest honours across the park. He was, he was awarded a life membership and also our, our James uh, Brennan Medal for service to the industry. And um, I don't think anyone can deny that he didn't deserve both. Yeah, no, well done, Mick. Uh, and just to him personally, for those people wondering how he was in his latter years, he was suffering a bit with dementia, I believe, and passed away, what, peacefully this morning? Yeah, I'm not too sure. He was battling, yeah, he was battling illness and, and over the last um, the last year or so, and obviously been slowing down. He was he was only a, a couple of weeks away from his 90th birthday, and uh, I know Alan Parker, uh, who's on our committee and the great historian, would would visit him, and uh, they were still great mates. Alan Alan says he's a father figure to him, and um, you know they were very close. And Alan would give us updates on 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 how he was, and um, yeah, he, you know he was such a big part of the industry, uh, Bill. Um, and and yeah, it is, it's a sad day for us uh, mm. here across the park because everyone loved him even. You know, he'd always come in and say hello to the girls at reception who was, you know, who are still here. And, um, you know, he, he was very much beloved here across the park. And um, he's certainly going to be missed. But, yeah, it's, it's, he was he was such a great figure. And, um, yeah, uh, we're, all, we're all mourning the loss uh, today. I'll tell you what I miss about those old uh, fellas, the ones that have been around during that period involved in sport. They were great storytellers. And Bill would have told you an absolute thousand great stories where you just sit down, you don't say a word and just let them talk because, uh, as I said, uh, they were uh, enormous years. And I think he started going down to Gloucester Park back there in the 50s as a young boy. Uh, just before I let you go, Mick, you mentioned that he uh, still frequented Gloucester Park when he was in better health. Uh, that was up until, what, the last few years? Yeah, look, he was still training up until a couple of years ago. Uh, you know, I think Colin Brown used to help him out and a few others, but he was still um, training and his, his granddaughter, I think, was helping him out. He, he actually had a runner, I think, in the 2012 Inner Dominion series. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was, he was still training training up till then. And, um, yeah, he, like, we'd still see him. He, was, he, he came he to the Hall of Fame inductions because, uh, obviously, uh, Village Kid was, was inducted in 2010 and, Alan and Alan and uh, Dot Parker and, and he and the team would go and um, Alan sent me through a, a lovely pic of of them in the in the back of the limousine heading to I think it was the night uh, the the uh, 2019 uh, Hall of Fame and um, yeah it's uh, it's he, he'd still get around and chat and as you said he he's just so 
he was a gregarious type of person and, and he'd have great stories and uh, it really was um, uh, it really really was great to chat to him about just different things and, and the time because you know he was he travelled he travelled Australia with Village Kid and was such a dominant figure on the, on the stage that his miracle mile his his miracle mile wins were were fantastic but he's in the minion win in '86 he was from the outside gate. And he just burst to the front, like just mm. he was almost tied to the mobile. He went that quick, like he was oh, yeah. he was blistering. He was just blistering gate speed, and and just gave nothing else a chance. And um, yeah, he, uh, you know, the, the memories of, of of village kids throughout his career, and and Bill, and um, they're just iconic scenes here at Gloucester Park. And and I'm sure that a lot of people are, are chatting and reminiscing about about uh, Bill today. Yeah, I'm just thinking of it, just painting a lot of pictures for me. Certainly, as a young boy going to Gloucester Park and let me say as we let you go Mick you know Village Kid was as big as if there's a big story about Nick Natanui or Nat Five who command the back page of the West Village Kid when he used to win the big races like the Pacing Cup or the Miracle Mile he was front and back don't worry about that he was just an absolute hero on this side of the country Mick thanks for joining us and as we let you go we're heading into spring and into summer exciting uh, period no doubt for Gloucester Park uh, over spring and summer yeah, really exciting. We've changed the calendar year for the or the, the racing season. Harness racing has actually changed the calendar year now. So we were able to move instead of finishing in September the two year races. We were able to move them back, and um, the last couple of weeks have been our first Group Ones in in this period. And they've tell you what, we've got some exciting boys uh, as two two year olds going through uh, this season. They're as good as we've we've ever seen. Um, and then that'll roll into the. The, the three and four year olds before just before around and around Christmas before the pacing cup just after Christmas so the next three or four months are really exciting here at Gloucester Park and um, the last couple of weeks have been an entree what's going to be a, a sensational uh, period for us and really looking forward to some great racing on the, on the track over the next uh, three or four months yeah looking forward to heading down there a few times Mick I'll have a shandy with you and uh, thanks Good for joining you. us mate and uh, giving us a, a tribute to the great Bill Horn thanks for your time Thanks, mate. Talk to you soon. Good on you, mate. Uh, 21 past five with Peter Vlasen. Breaking news here. Uh, Fremantle Dockers captain Nat Five has done his hamstring. Uh, recurrence of that hamstring injury. He's out for three weeks. It's a huge blow for the Dockers' premiership hopes. We'll touch on that actually after the break uh, and give you a bit more details on that. It's 21 past five. This is Drive with Peter Vlahos. Nat Five out for three weeks. Will not play on Saturday night for the Fremantle Dockers in their cutthroat elimination final against the Western Bulldogs. That and all the other footy news coming up on the other side of the break. The Drive Show with Peter Vlahos. Toolmark, your complete tool centre. Proudly WA owned and operated for over 40 years. So as I mentioned before the break, in breaking news, Fremantle captain Nat Fife will miss this weekend's elimination final against the Bulldogs after scans revealed today a hamstring injury to his right leg. Now, he sustained the injury in training. That is last night, and that was confirmed by scans today. And it's the opposite leg to the left hamstring injury that Fife sustained in Fremantle's round 19 draw against Richmond which saw him sideline for three games before returning, as we know, in the final home and away game against GWS. What did that mean for Fremantle? Joining us now is uh, Drive with Peter Vlahos, AFL uh, expert in Kim Hagdon. Haggers, uh, a very good afternoon. Welcome back. 
Hi, Peter. How are you? Jeez, it's big news, isn't it? It's a, it's a significant development for Fremantle. Um, but I, I suppose the first thing you'd have to say, Peter, is, you know, we've been a bit sceptical in the last several weeks about Nathan Fife's contributions anyway, haven't we? So mm. is, it actually, is it actually ultimately going to solve a bit of a selection dilemma for Fremantle? You don't have to try to fit Nathan Fife in. If Nathan Fife got through this week... There would have been some of us saying, does he deserve, has he earned his spot? And you and I discussed it last week or so, Peter. If we weren't talking about Nathan Fife, we were just talking about, you know, let's say a 22, 23, 24-year-old player building his career, you'd be thinking, well, he doesn't deserve to play. But we were talking about Nathan Fife. So I'm not so sure it really hurts them that significantly for Saturday night. Mm. So saying that, uh, a hamstring injury is the opposite leg. Now they've come out Fremantle saying they haven't put a timeline on Nat Fife's return. Uh, you'd have to say he's done and dusted now for the year where they have, uh, where they continue from this week into the following week. And, of course, they progress further and deeper into the finals. That's Nat Fife done and dusted for 2022. Let, let, let's, let's go a step further, Peter. Uh, that, that, that's his season over. Uh, it's a right hamstring now, we, you and I discussed this also, that I detected early into when he did do the left hamstring and he tore the left hamstring early into that match against Richmond uh, in round 19 that he did feel for his right hamstring as well. Mm-hmm. He felt for the right hamstring before. That was during the first term. And then he did the hamstring, the left hamstring in the second term. And then strangely enough, he came back out and played the first couple of minutes of the second half so we, we picked up that he had a bit of right hamstring soreness as well. The thing is with Fife, with Nathan Fife's circumstances now, Pete, is that he's, he's built himself up. He's been through such heavy training. He's very suspect in the hamstring area anyway because of the bulk he's got upper body and, and the heavy work he's had to do. He's now hamstring susceptible on a regular basis. If it's a two or three or four week hamstring injury, you couldn't consider playing Nathan Fife. Seriously, you couldn't consider playing Nathan Fife in a preliminary final, for instance. If they get through this week, it's then an on the road match against Geelong or Collingwood. And then have, let's say they won that. Let's say they beat Collingwood in the second week of the finals. They go to a preliminary final. It's on the road again. Could you play Nathan Fife after he's played just one match? No. I mean, Fife really only survived one full match since round nine, since round 18. He played against uh, Sydney in round 18, Pete, and he had 15 possessions. He had one kick. So mm. you couldn't seriously consider playing Nathan Fife in two or three or four weeks' time uh, in the latter stages of this final series when he'd played such little footy. And, and he didn't have a great game, last game anyway, the game against Western Sydney. Nine possessions. We debated then how he'd gone. So, but sadly, let's be one of the first to say it, this is career-threatening to Nathan Fife. This has to be seriously considered as to what he can offer them next year as well. Yeah, fair call. Now, we're going to talk more about this tomorrow night when you join us, of course, on Wednesday night, uh, the eve of the AFL final. So let's talk more about it tomorrow night. Hags, plenty to discuss. Look forward to your company here on Drive from 5 tomorrow. It's massive news, the Nathan Fife development. Just as a quick closing uh, drive by, Pete, um, (laughs) when you were ringing me, I saw the missed call. I was literally getting a call from someone saying, 
something's up with Nathan Fife. He won't play this week. It's even bigger than that. He, he probably won't play this final series. And, and it's career-threatening for my uh, assessment of it. Yeah, good on you. All right, Hags, uh, see you in the studio tomorrow yeah, night. Kim Hagdorn, uh, of course, our drive with Peter Vlahos, AFL expert, with his thoughts on where Nat Fife sits at this point in time. Last night on AFL 360 on Fox, uh, Justin Longmuir was one of the special guests, and he was asked about the build-up uh, to this home final on Saturday night. Yeah, it's definitely a buzz around town. Um, our, our fans have, have been really good support all year, but, yeah, I've really seen them pick up over the last fortnight. Um, and, yeah, become really excited. It's actually, yeah, our first home final at uh, Optus Stadium. So I look forward to seeing it packed out in purple this weekend. Yeah, and they look like heading for their biggest ever crowd, the Fremantle Footy Club here at Optus Stadium. So what has been Frio's approach heading towards uh, this do-or-die match on Saturday? Yeah, we'll lay it out as, as um, similar as we can for the players. Um, obviously, the buyer puts a different little spin on it. So we, we trained pretty solidly on Saturday. Uh, we had 15, 16 players play at Peel, um, and they had a good win. So, yeah, this week will be very similar to what we've set up throughout the year. Um, you know, we, we want to try and keep things as similar as we can and try and stick to what works. Freo and everybody's a bit nervous about uh, the Western Bulldogs. They've done it before, coming from a lowly position in the eight to uh, have some success on their way through. And now Nathan Buckley on SEN in Melbourne was asked a question about the Bulldogs and he feels that the Bulldogs can do something special after sneaking into the finals in the last weekend, last weekend. They have had a middling season. They've been up and down. Um, they're only one of two teams um, that um, that I thought actually lowered their expectations. That that weren't able they, that uh, they in, in they, they in Port Adelaide. I thought were the two in particular outside of the bottom four sides that that just sides that I expected to make the top eight that just haven't you know raised their game and been at their best. But the dogs have stumbled in. And, but the question is now, it's not necessarily about stumbling because that season is done. And Luke Beveridge would be a master at being able to draw the line, letting that go, having the prospects about what could happen or what could be. And so I think psychologically they'll be ready. The question is, can, can they do it again? Can, I think they'll believe. They're coming up against a Fremantle side whose best performance in the second half of the year was against the Western Bulldogs. They defended them really well. They took about 140 uncontested marks and denied them the, the ball. And they had a really distinct style. But the dogs will have been able to go to school on that. This is a fascinating contest. You know, we're going to have four great games and, 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 I'm, and I'm looking forward to them all. But can, um, you know, can Frio defensively take the game away from a Western Bulldogs side who you know will believe? Yep, so interesting. That's Nathan Buckley on SEN in Melbourne this morning about the Western Bulldogs. And we'll have more on that uh, tomorrow night uh, as we look at the first final between Brisbane and Richmond and, of course, then rolls uh, through. Uh, we've got some big games and we'll discuss them all tomorrow night here on Drive with Peter Vlahos. Also, there's a big game, a do-or-die game in the WAFL this weekend. On Sunday at 10 minutes past midday, Peel Thunder will host Swan Districts. The winner of that will play in the WAFL finals. The loser misses out. I'll speak to Jeff Valentine uh, from the Peel Thunder Footy Club about their chances next here on Drive with Peter Vlahos. It's all thanks to Toolmart, the complete tool centre. 
The Drive Show with Peter Vlahos. Toolmark, your complete tool centre. Proudly WA owned and operated for over 40 years. Welcome back to Drive with Peter Vlahos. Great to have your company on this Tuesday. And we're counting down to what perceivably is the most intriguing weekend in the WAFL season. SENWA will be down in Mandra to bring you the game between Peel Thunder and Swan Districts, which will be staged on Sunday at 10 minutes past midday. And it very much will determine which of those two clubs will probably play in the WAFL finals. Joining us, he's on the commute down to Mandra, is Jeff Valentine, the coach of the Thunder. Jeff, thanks for your time. Yeah, pleasure, Pete. It's a big Sunday coming up for you and, of course, Adam Pickering and everybody at the Black Ducks. Yeah, no, it's an exciting way to, to round out the uh, the whole season, isn't it? Um, yeah, one of us is going to go through. They, they got the better of us in the, the first time around and we're, we're looking forward to hosting them on, on Sunday. And it really has been an intriguing season, hasn't it, uh, Jeff? Uh, particularly the top five sides where there's been weeks where some of those top five sides have been stronger than others. And we look back to last weekend, Swans beating West Perth, who have occupied top position. And, of course, you doing a job on the West Coast Eagles, who had a lot of AFL-listed players playing last weekend. So it has been a pretty interesting season. Yeah, look, really tight, Pete. Yeah, absolutely right. It's... I think it's going to come down to the, the team that can hit form at the, the right time, keep their, their list healthy and um, yeah, really get going over the last sort of week or two. So, um, yeah, hopefully that can be us and we're putting ourselves into the frame at the right time of year. So, Jeff, you won't know the final composition and what's available to Peel Thunder for Sunday until the team for the Fremantle Football Club is announced on Thursday night, I gather. Yeah, look, we'll get a bit of an idea tomorrow at the, the main training session. Um, Fremantle will train at Optus Oval tomorrow morning. I think there's match committee um, later that day. So we'll get a bit of an idea uh, then as to um, who's got through. Obviously, Griff and Rory Lobb will be right in the picture to return um, and what that does to the makeup of the team. Last week, we had Meek, uh, Bailey Banfield and Darcy Tucker who were all involved in the, in the Giants last fixture. So that'll um, there's a few moving parts there. So, yeah, that'll come a little bit clearer sort of Wednesday, Thursday. And... Um, yeah, but look, we're confident whatever team we do get to roll out, we're, we're confident that it's going to be really competitive. If we play our, our, our brand of foot and we play our best, we, we're hoping that's going to be good enough. You mentioned Lloyd Meek there and a bit of conversation early this week that he did enough to maybe be considered for Fremantle's elimination final on Saturday night. I heard he was very good. Yeah, look, Meek, he was outstanding and he has been all year for us. He's he's proven to be the, the, the dominant ruckman at, at WAFL level. Um, yeah, look, I guess the, the challenge there for, for Justin and the rest of the match committee of Fremantle there is how does he fit in with Sean Darcy and, and Rory Lobb and Griff um, as, as backup ruckman? What's, what's the best combination for the team? But, no, nah, look, he's a, he's a wonderful young ruckman and, um, and, look, we're really grateful to have him the times that we do. Just having a look at also a couple of other members of your team, uh, a lot has been said about the return of Jai Amos after that serious uh, kidney injury. How's he going, the youngster? Yeah, look, a, a real positive step forward on the weekend. He was a little bit rusty the, the first week back, which is to be expected, I guess, after such a, a lengthy layoff with a with a really serious injury. But um, no, nah, look, he was great last week. He's timed his leads fairly well. He, um, he he's a wonderful kick at goal. He, he kicked one in the, in the last quarter with a, in, a howling cross breeze, and it really had to be seen to be believed from a set shot point of view. So yeah, look, he's going to be a wonderful player for Fremantle. 
Um, and again, look, he's, he's probably running out of time to really press his case from a, an AFL point of view, but um, no, he's building nicely. And if we can get a few more games into the season, I'm sure he's going to really hit his straps. Joel Tracy or Joshua Tracy, how did he go? Yeah, look, he was good. He was good. He um, first came back from a sort of glandular fever type viral infection that kept him out. No, his, his actual energy levels and his, his running uh, was, was probably as good as it has been all year. It might be, I suppose, in horse racing parlance, he was he was really good fresh, so there might be a way to sort of keep him. And we gave him a few extra rotations and, and that type of thing, and it, it really seemed to help his performance. So, um, no, he was another one who was good. He's only going to benefit from the run. So, yeah, look, if we can get through this week, um, yeah, Fremantle should have a couple of key forwards to pick from. Uh, Matthew Tabiner will be another one potentially this week. If he gets through training tomorrow, that'll be available. So, um, yeah, all of a sudden, the, the key forward stocks at Fremantle and Peel are looking pretty healthy. And for those non-AFL-listed players with the Fremantle Dockers, you cannot uh, continue the superlatives because he's been brilliant for you, has been the likes of Blair Bell. He stood up when it's counted and he's kicked goals when it's counted as well. Yeah, look, he's, he's a wonderful player, a wonderful servant of the, the Peel Footy Club. You know, he's affectionately known as the Mayor of Andrew. He's undoubtedly our most popular player. And Ben Hancock's another who, who's captain. Um, they were wonderful contributors on the weekend. But you're right, Blair, in the first quarter, I think he kicked two goals. Uh, he finished the day with 10 tackles, three goals for the day. And, yeah, he had a really significant impact. So, um, yeah, great to see him starting to hit some form at this time of year. And who are some of the other players that is non-AFL listed players that really are pivotal for Peel Thunder during uh, hopefully a finals campaign? Yeah, Jack Sears. Um, he had his best game under my watch on the weekend as a sort of third tall. Took four or five really nice intercept marks. Um, Ty Anderson, a, a young fella from Harvey, um, he sort of stepped in, into waffle footy for the first time um, this year and he's played every game, started as a midfielder with sort of turned him into a really dashing sort of small defender. Um, Tyrone Thorne, uh, Ty won our best and fairest last year. He missed 12 weeks with a, a broken wrist, but again, he's now got two or three games under his belt. He's only a little fella, but he's brave and he's, um, his ability to change angles and find a target has been, uh, been really impressive and really important for us. As you mentioned, nothing separates Peel and Swan districts. You're currently in the top five on percentage. Uh, whoever wins this game will play the following week. So what is your preparation for a game on Sunday? That starts just after midday. What is the program from today heading into Sunday? Yeah, so we'll train uh, tonight, Tuesday and Thursday night, which is our, our normal routine. It, it just works well for the fellas with casual work and our support staff. And then on the Saturday morning, we'll have a, a sort of captain's run. We'll get our um, our league squad. We'll come up and train with Fremantle, the, the boys that are going to play on the Sunday. So we'll have a little captain's run on Sunday morning up at Coburn, um, team meeting and some breakfast, and then uh, then into it on Sunday afternoon. And uh, you're happy that it's a standalone game down there at the uh, Lane Group Stadium, the all-important game between Peel and Swans? Yeah, look, it's, yeah, that doesn't really worry us, Pete. You know, it's, it's worked out really well for the Waffle, and I think from a, a competition point of view, it's, it's going to be a great way to finish it. So if that means we sort of go, the downside is going into the finals on a six-day break, but that's footy sometimes. So we'll look forward to, to Sunday, and it's going to be a wonderful um, 
sort of culmination of the whole season. So, uh, as they say, may the best team win, eh? Yeah, very much. And, Jeff, uh, no doubt you've enjoyed the experience of being involved with uh, an AFL team and, and being, of course, a coach of the very important Peel Thunder footy club that is seen as the, the feeder to the Fremantle Dockers. Have you enjoyed the experience? Yeah, it's been a wonderful year, Peter. Yeah, obviously, look, a, a great time to get on board with Fremantle. Um, you know, their, their return to the finals in, you know, whatever it is, eight or ten years has been really exciting. They've got a young group. Um, there's some really talented players. You know, those sort of three draft selections, you know, the first rounders, Matty Johnson, Neil Erasmus and Jai Amos. Um, yeah, sort of Carl Warner and Roy Benning just from last year's um, draft crop. So, no, it's, it's a really exciting time at the footy club, and, I've, I've, yeah, I've really enjoyed it. And you haven't had any problems when players have come back, no doubt disappointed they haven't played in the AFL side, knowing that they need to play at Peel and need to play well to continue their profile and enhance their opportunities to maybe play at AFL level the following week. It's never been a problem? No, nah, look, I've been very uh, very fortunate there. I've had wonderful leadership and support by the night. Likes of Connor Blakely, Joel Hamling, uh, Nathan Wilson, Ethan Hughes. They're, they're sort of four senior players that have spent, you know, a, a large part of the year for, with us at Peel, and, and their attitude has been fantastic. And, you know, within that group, you know, Joel's played an AFL premiership, Nathan Wilson's played 150 AFL games, but they're, they're, um, they're, they're buy-in and their love for the sort of Peel footy club and what we're trying to do there has been really strong, and um, both Nathan and Ethan have both come through the Peel development ranks, so yeah, I felt really fortunate to have their support and, and, um, and their leadership sort of on and off the field. It's been great. Good on you, Jeff. Thanks for joining us. Good luck for the big one on Sunday. Look forward to being down there at the Lane Group Stadium there in Mandra to witness that do-or-die match. It's, uh, it's actually an elimination final before the elimination final weekend between Peel and Swan Districts. Thanks for your time. Pleasure, Pete. Go well. Yeah, good on you, Jeff. Thanks for joining us. Uh, the coach of the Peel Thunder Footy Club. He sounds up, doesn't it? Should be a great day, actually. 12.10 down there at uh, Peel's home ground in Mandra. Just some uh, breaking news. So all thanks to Tyre Power. Buy three and get one free on selected Kumo passenger car and SUV tyres at Tyre Power. An update here where Fremantle fans who missed out on their chance of being part of Docker's history at Upton Stadium on Saturday, have now been given a second chance. As I mentioned last night, extra tickets now for the club's elimination final against the Bulldogs that went unclaimed in the corporate and sponsor allocation will go on sale to the general public tomorrow. But fans will need to get in quick with just a few hundred prize uh, seats up for grabs. Uh, the tickets will go on sale at 11am tomorrow on Ticketmaster. So it's 11 a.m. tomorrow on Ticketmaster. A statement that's just uh, been released saying a limited number of tickets for the 2022 Toyota AFL Final Series Elimination Final, Fremantle versus Western Bulldogs, Saturday, September 3 at Optus Stadium, have become available. These tickets will be available to the general public, as I mentioned, 11 a.m. tomorrow. Full house is expected, as we know, for the Dockers' first ever Optus Stadium Final with Fremantle's attendance record of 56,521 set to be smashed. And the clash will also be retiring veteran David Mundy's last hurrah in front of the Dockers' faithful win or lose with a trip to Victoria on the cards should they win. Of course, they'll take on the loser of Geelong and Collingwood in a semi-final the following weekend. Of course, the AFL finals get underway on Thursday night. It is Brisbane against Richmond and uh, Chris Fagan on AFL 360. 
is uh, feeling pretty confident. He reckons there's a lot of players in the Lions uh, lineup that are pretty seasoned for this finals campaign. Oh, look at that. The Richmond team that we play, and remember back when, when Dimmo, you know, got them into three elimination finals in the row and they couldn't, they couldn't actually win, and then they missed the finals completely, then came out and won the premiership the year after that. So, and I, and I think if I'm, I'm a bit of an historian on the game and I, and I look at, at teams and their progression towards hopefully winning premierships, and uh, usually there's a few disappointments along the way, and I feel like we've had those in the last three years, and, you know, we haven't... We haven't been poor performers in finals. We've won one and we've actually lost one by one point and another by three points. So it's not like we've been, um, you know, beaten up in finals. We've actually done quite well, just haven't quite been able to get over the line. But I'm just hoping those experiences will harden us and prepare us for what lies ahead. Um, that's the aim. That's, that's the way I've always coached the team, that we learn from the experiences that we have to try and improve and get better. And uh, that's, that's the aim on Thursday night. Should be a big game, Brisbane against Richmond. And finally, in relation to footy, there's been growing talk about Ross Lyon and a link to the vacant Essendon coaching job. Nick Revolt, who had him at St Kilda, of course, a former St Kilda captain, has endorsed Ryan for uh, Ross Lyon for the Essendon job. And Tim Watson this morning on SEN Breakfast in Melbourne said this about Ross Lyon as a coach at his former club. I think they need somebody in a coaching group that can enforce the fundamentals and the basics on the players. Really? What, what, what do you mean? I'm talking that? about the ability to be able to defend one-on-one and to so it's compete. Style. You're talking it's, style. I'm talking, yeah, but the fundamentals and the basics are the – they underpin the way that you play. Mm. At any team, the way they play. You know, like when you tackle, you tackle and standing your ground and – competing and the effort around the ball and making sure that you outnumber opposition, that type of thing. I mean, they're all the fundamentals and the basics of the game. Yeah, so you got, that's selling, isn't it? Like, it's selling Yes, but then, so the extension to that is being able to defend the ground. And we haven't been able to defend the ground for probably, you go right back to the John Walsfold days, mm. we still haven't been able to defend the, ga- the ground. So that's what they need to do. And that is associated with the fundamentals and the basics of the game. And that's coaching, isn't it? That is coaching and teaching, yeah. yeah. So you come in and go, this is how I coach. This is what I believe in. This is the system that I want to put in place. And so the coaching panel look at it, right? And they go, okay, yeah, I, I, I see that as marrying up with the issues that Essendon have got, right? So mm. I see the synergy there. Okay, so you got my, you've got me interested, uh, Ross Lyon or... That's why, he would be a ve- that's why he would be okay. a very good coach. I'm just saying, take your personalities out. But then tied up in all that is the basics and the fundamentals of the game and competing mm. and then the way that you compete. And you wouldn't have to... You wouldn't have to get Ross Lyon, using Ross Lyon as an example, to explain all that. All you'd have to do is go back and look at the teams that he's coached. St Kilda, strong in all those areas. Fremantle. And you can – you may or may not like the way they played. You might think they played too defensively. But in terms of the basics and the fundamentals of competing, they were all strong competitive teams. Is there because a for him, that was a priority in his coaching. Is was there that a part concern of it? it's too defensive? Well, there would be a – but the game, I, I would think, in the time that he's been out of the game, and I'm not pushing him to be the Essen coach, but I'm just using him as the example. In the time that he's been out of the game, there has been a change. No doubt. Like, and he has to – and he would, more attacking, he would have to acknowledge Geelong that. Geelong more attacking. Yes. Richmond, Melbourne will attack. And he's a smart bloke, Ross. He is, he is. I'm sure that in his coaching, 
he would acknowledge that there has to be movement in philosophy in that area as well. There you go, Tim Watson, his thoughts on Ross Lyon. Very interesting indeed. Just uh, a note, and you talk about coaches being sacked. In the English Premier League, you have one bad result and you're gone. As we know, on the weekend, Liverpool beat Bournemouth by nine goals to nil. Guess what's happened to the Bournemouth manager, Scott Parker? Shown the door. There is no, there is no room for a bad result. And it's only four games into the season. And he got them promoted from the championship last year back into the Premier League this season. So there you go. One bad result. See you later, Charlie. You're gone. So, and we feel sorry sometimes for AFL coaches that probably get sacked after two, three, four, five years. Anyway, cutthroat business in other sports compared to, I think, the AFL business. We're going to take... Uh, that's it for the show, actually. I'm back tomorrow. Haggers is going to join us. Thanks, Jimmy. Thanks very much, Lee. Hope you've enjoyed it. This has been Drive with Peter Vlahos. All thanks to Toolmart, the Complete Tool Centre.